Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDIC. What is up, everybody? And welcome to the All NBA Show, part of the All City Podcast Network. I'm your host, Adam Mates. I'm joined by my esteemed colleague, Tim Legler, on what feels like the follow-up to a historic day in the NBA. Some crazy performances. Sometimes the show writes itself. Last night, unquestionably one of those nights. Legs, we have a lot to talk about today, man. How much did you enjoy last night? Oh, my goodness. And you know what, what's crazy about both of the huge scoring nights that we're going to get into, Joel Embiid, Carl Anthony Towns, you know, neither one of those games necessarily was on my radar to watch at all. Right. So, so, so I got other games on and, and, and I'm also just studying, doing some research on some things and I'm, and I'm also watching games, not those games. And then, and then my phone starts blowing up. That's really what kind of triggered the whole thing. And I was like, wait, what a sec, what's going on now? So then I put on the Sixers game first to see what Embiid was in the midst of. And then, of course, then you get, well, Carl Anthony Towns has 44 at halftime. Um, an absolutely insane night from a scoring perspective and then some other storylines that are connected to that. Yeah. Great comebacks. And then one, I think, very dominant performance out of the Celtics. So we're going to get into all of it. All of it. We're going to start with 76ers. We're going to start with Embiid. Um, we're going to move on from there to the Wolves and talk about them because last night I do feel like was was a concerning one for the Wolves. And then Celtics-Mavs, we're going to talk about KD a little bit. It's rivalry week and, of course, the, the Terry Rozier trade. So we have a lot to get to. Today we're presented by DraftKings Fantasy Sports. Check out what DraftKings has to offer and use that promo code ALLNBA because life's more fun when you're in on the action. DraftKings, the crown is yours. If you have a gambling problem, call 1-800-GAMBLER. Agent eligibility restrictions apply. Void were prohibited. See DraftKings.com for detail. All right. It's up there in the pantheon of all-time great scoring performances last night. It was a good game through about two and a half quarters. Embiid was on fire right away, 24 points in the first quarter, but the Spurs were kind of holding serve. It wasn't until the third quarter, Embiid did not slow down at all. He continued to be absolutely dominant. And then by the fourth quarter, it was a blowout, but they put him back in, and I'm glad they did, Legs, to start with. I think in special moments and in special occasions, you should put big players back in. I remember when Kobe went for, was it 61 or 62 and three quarters against the Mavericks? And did not go back in the fourth. And I remember thinking, what a travesty that we don't get to see what this guy is capable of on a heater like this. And then, of course, a couple weeks later, they put they he plays all the way through the final buzzer and gets 81. I was glad Embiid got a chance to go back in and put up a historic number because it was special to watch him go for 70 last night. What did you think? Completely agree. And I'm gonna I'm gonna give a little per- quick story, personal perspective on this. I was a rookie in Phoenix. Uh, 1989-90, and Tom Chambers was on the team, and we're playing the Seattle Supersonics, and Tom Chambers just is just schooling them, and very easy night for him. He was a big-time scorer. He gets up, you know, he's north of 50, 52, 54, 56, comes out of the game because the game is in hand. Well, 
Turns out he needed another bucket to break this franchise record. And the irony is the guy that had the record was sitting on our bench because he was an assistant coach. It was Paul Westfall, and he was our assistant. And Paul Westfall went to Cotton Fitzsimmons, the head coach, and basically told him to put Tom back in the game so he could try to break his own record, which is a pretty cool thing to do. Cool. And, of course, yeah. Chambers goes back in. Bucket, bucket. I mean, the night he was having, it probably took him two trips, if I recall. And he gets his 60, which has since been broken, I believe, by Devin Booker. But uh, at the right. time, was a franchise record. And I, so I agree with you. I agree with you. There are certain things, certainly always winning is always going to be first. Always on that given night for that particular season. It always trumps everything in a team sport. Always. Yeah. But there are certain nights in the context of winning that you get these milestone potential performances, historic performances. And it's not just for, you know, in my case, Tom Chambers, it was for everybody on the roster. We all wanted to be part of that. And it's the same thing last night. Uh, you go in, you're chasing, I mean, Wilt Chamberlain, anytime you have a chance to catch Wilt Chamberlain for some <laughs> sort of scoring record, yeah. uh, that, that alone, right, is so significant give the guy a chance to do it. And by the way, with the lack of, you know, physicality that San Antonio showed, it wasn't like a B was going to get hurt. Okay. All you got to do is go to go to the bathroom a couple of times (laughs) and you're going to get, in fact, the one that he, that he got an open floor to get the 70. I mean, they basically, Kelton Johnson basically just got out of the way and let him go have that layup. So I agree with you. First of all, I I like the fact they put him back in to do something this historic because it was done in the context of winning. He's incredibly popular with his teammates incredibly yep. popular yep. with the fan base every single person in that building right they got that's a ticket stub that they're going to hold on to and remember forever um because it was such a historic night so i agree with you i'm glad and it was one of the most my i watched the entire thing this morning and it was one of the most mind-blowing displays of just scoring prowess from a big man you'll ever see and you know some of this was if you look at the matchup here they're playing the spurs obviously a struggling team but more than that their two centers, Zach Collins and, of course, Wimbenyama, both just physically have no chance against Embiid. They're, they have a, Physically, they can hit, manage against a lot of guys, a Sabonis who's bigger than them, but not, not so much bigger. Embiid was just – there were plays, and I actually thought he abused Zach Collins more than he abused Wemby. I mean, he look, he gave it to both of them. But I thought the minutes in Zach Collins were the ones where he almost was more aggressive going forward to the basket. And that was part of it was you had a defense that couldn't stop him as a collective. And they had individuals that were giving up so much size, power, intimidation, all of those things that it just allowed him to do all of the things. This wasn't a game where he just shot the jumper, just got the foul line. Yeah. He was able to get inside. He was able to pop from the foul line. He was able to shoot the three. He just he His entire game was on display in this one. And that's part of what made it feel so special to me. Yeah, I agree. You know, it's amazing. I I saw a game last week they played, and I don't remember the exact number, but they put a graphic up on there about dunks for the year because there was somebody that was in the Sixers Mm. were playing, had a ton of dunks, and they were showing by contrast how few dunks Embiid has because he has basically mastered the mid-range area of the floor. That is where he dominates you, right, 15 to 18 feet. He just basically doesn't miss that shot. And we have the if, shot if chart. Pull it up, Evan, if you can. Yeah, if, if ahead, you crowd him, he, he's going he's gonna to use that strength on the first step to blow by and, and get you to the rim. So you give him enough space. Most guys that guard him are smaller. 
so they don't really get an honest contest. But last night, it wasn't all about the mid-range. It was, it, was, it was in the post. It was in transition. It was on the offensive glass. It was everything that a big guy can do in a given game uh, to, to score the basketball. And I agree with you about Zach Collins. It was interesting because Wembenyama, one time he did get hit in the sternum with, with, yeah. with, with the beach shoulder, and I saw the air like leave Wembenyama's body. But for the most part, he was kind of backing up, trying to use his length at the rim. Zach Collins was actually trying to body him up and he was trying to front them. And he was, yep. he was doing all these things like with his footwork and it made no difference. He just would get buried behind him at some point. They'd throw it in. He's right there, point blank range and finish it off. So uh, look, we know how good this guy is. And it was pretty much all on display last night. And it's interesting. He was a front runner for MVP, Adam. Then he got hurt and everybody said, oh, well now, Everybody, you know, he sort of came back to the pack, and now it's this race again for MVP. He comes back, only plays a handful of games since he came back, and drops a 70-piece. And it's almost like he he might have erased all of that doubt that yeah. built up while he was out in one night, where he's right back again because of something this visually spectacular that he's probably once again now in command in a commanding lead, I think, for the MVP, assuming the Sixers continue to win at the same rate. It's his best season. I think it's very clearly his best season. And he's had some really good ones over the last four years. His seasons have all been great. But this one is clearly head and shoulders above the other ones. And the reason is because, in my opinion, is because of that mid-range that you were talking about. If you pull that back up, Emma. Right around the foul line is his comfort zone. And you just see from the left to the right side of the foul line and right inside the foul line, that like 13-foot zone. If he gets you there, and I think Nick Nurse and the 76ers have done such a good job of getting him the ball there and flattening out the court so that it's very difficult to, you know, he kind of gets to play, survey, and be patient and kind of stand and operate from there. But when he gets there, he is unbelievable from that spot. He's having his best season ever legs from 16 feet and out, you know, inside the three-point line, but not closer than 16 feet. He's shooting 53.7%. He's a career 44% shooter from there. And the last three years, he's been a 47% shooter from there. He's up six percentage points from that exact zone. And when you watch him play, he's so comfortable and in such a rhythm. And you see this from players from time to time when they just find a rhythm with their favorite shot and, and, and there's on it. Do you feel... If you look at the numbers, it shows an improvement every year, but a 6% leap from, la from last year to this year is enormous. Is that a hot streak and he's on a heater right now? Or do you, when you watch him play, do you say, hey, that's a shot right now that looks like he's just mastered it. And now it's something he's going to have, you know, you can rely on for the rest of the year. Yeah, it, it, it's become, it might be the most unstoppable and consistently productive weapon in the NBA. When you could take any... Any any one of the top scorers in this league, and they all have their patented go-to, like Kevin Durant, you know, going to his right um, off the dribble for a pull-up 18 to 20 footer is is almost automatic. And he and he, he showed that again last night, an incredible comeback led by him against Chicago. So that's one, right? At, at one point, it was Russell Westbrook's in transition stop on a dime at about 17 feet. Yep. He didn't miss that shot when he was an MVP. He just didn't miss it. Luca's step back going left. It's it's unguardable, right? So they're they're the top guys in this league, right? They have these weapons. I don't know that there's any right now 
more unstoppable and more consistent than Joel Embiid's mid-range jump shot because he can get it off anytime he wants because nobody, number one, is as big as him typically. Every now and then, if he does get a guy his size and length, they're off of him five feet because right. if you crowd him, he is going to draw a foul. He's so yeah. good at swinging through, putting his shoulder into your body on the way to the rim and selling it pretty good. And by the way, one of the things we don't talk about enough with him, for a guy this big, this powerful, because I think he might be the most powerful low post player just in terms of raw strength since Shaq in the low post if he gets single coverage, to then go to the line and shoot 89% from the foul line when you're getting there 12 times a night, like the combination of power and touch it really defies the laws of biomechanics. It's not supposed to go together in one body. And yet that is exactly what Joel Embiid represents. Yeah. It's unbelievable the scoring rate that he's at. Um, and he is at a point now, Legs, where the, he's almost going to become a victim of his own success. If he goes out tomorrow night and has a game with 33 points, 10 rebounds, it's going to feel like a bad game. If I told you Embiid had 33 points, it's going to feel like, oh man, what, what's, what's, you know, was he, who was guarding him? Was he, was shutting him down? 33 points would lead the league outside of Embiid. But right now, I mean, I just feel like 40 points is the baseline for him in the zone that he's in. And, and it's kind of crazy. If you look at the all time scorer scoring performances that we've had, Kobe's 81 stands out to me above, uh, above all the others, obviously. I think this one now becomes second because you've had big scoring from Damian Lillard. You've had some from uh, Donovan Mitchell. You've had Devin Booker. But this one, to me, of all those those other ones, this one feels the most dominant, dominant behind Kobe's 81. I'm not going back. Some of these Jordan performances in the playoffs, this or that, maybe you want to speak to those. But to me, this one is going to, for me personally, probably feel like the second most iconic of my lifetime behind behind Kobe's 81. What do, what do you feel? No, I think that's fair. I, I, I'm going to put it there as well. You know, and, um, you know, you look at the top, those individuals, some of those giant monster scoring nights from Will and from, you know, Elgin Baylor and Oscar Robertson and some of those nights, those guys, that I, unfortunately, I, I didn't see those, you know, so I'm going by my perspective and some of the massive scoring nights that these guys have had, record-setting nights, I'm going to put it there as well. And here's something else people need to need to realize. You and I were doing a little research just before the show because it hit me. Like I saw he's halfway through the season. Now, he did miss a few games. He's only played 32 games. So he, he's missed some games. But basically, we're at the midway point of the season. He was leading the league in scoring and raised his scoring average by a point in one night. That just doesn't happen this late in the year. So now he's up over 36 points a game, which puts him in a territory where in history – in the NBA, the only guys who've averaged more points in a regular season, Will Chamberlain did it five times, Michael Jordan did it one time, and James Harden did it one time, and he's one hundredth of a point uh, per game ahead of Embiid right now. So Embiid has a real good chance, I think, of ca catching him, which means you've only got five Wilt seasons and one Michael Jordan season, and I don't know if you can get to 37-plus to catch Jordan. That's what we're looking at right now. Okay, and you got to go back 40 years almost to the Michael Jordan season, right? you got to go back 60 years to the Wilt Chamberlain seasons. That is what Joel Embiid is doing right now, and that is what he did last night. 
um, to, to basically double your scoring average on a given night and, and raise it overall by a point. It's just doesn't happen this late in the year. You can do that easily the first couple of months. You can't do that when you're up at the end of January, raise your scoring average by a point. That's how historic what he did last night was. So the question becomes, are you buying the 76ers? Does this performance give you more confidence that this is the 76ers this year? This performance doesn't. I'm buying them anyway. I, I think this is, and I've been saying it all year, I think since they made the Harden trade, I just think that this, if it unleashed some things for this team. And I think this is the most viable, legitimate opportunity that Joel Embiid has had to make a real run at the finals. Now, I'm not going to necessarily pick them uh, to beat either Milwaukee or Boston, although I don't know. Maybe I would pick them to beat Milwaukee. I don't know that I'd pick them to beat Boston, but they are now in that category, I think, this team this year, that they can go toe-to-toe -to -toe with these teams. I never really bought into the Sixers – you know, beyond being a second round team, I, you know, and they might end up in the second round team again because of what's ahead of them. But at least this year, I believe that they have the, the, the opportunity to do it. I think they can make a run at the conference finals or potentially the finals. And I never felt that way about any of the previous Sixers teams with a beat on it. The re I I'm buying them and I've really felt this way for a little bit in Embiid's dominance right now, he looks more confident, more comfortable, more in control. But I like the supporting cast, and I like the way that Nick Nurse has really positioned him. When I talk about him getting the ball at that foul line, everybody knows that you're, you're, you're cooked once he gets the ball there, but nobody seems to be able to keep the ball from getting there. The one concern I have for them that would give me more confidence is that Embiid-Maxi dynamic. I think I've mentioned this on the show already. The Embiid Maxi dynamic at the start of the year to me was perfect balance. They both were playing phenomenally and playing phenomenally off each other. They segued a little bit as the year has gone on to more Embiid heavy, getting him the ball, kind of getting out of the way. And if you look at Maxi's numbers month by month, they've gone down every month. He's kind of his numbers are going down. Now, is he playing bad? No. Embiid is so dominant that you're kind of going there. And I just look at that and I go, that's a recipe for regular season success. We know they have that other option in their back pocket, but as they get closer to the playoffs, I think they're probably going to have to work away from Embiid a little bit and cultivate more what that two-man game looks like and all of the different options that come off of yeah. it. So I think they have the ingredients for it, but their path to unlocking and to fully making all those ingredients come together at some point, I think, is going to be winding down Embiid just a little bit. It's good that he can be this dominant, more dominant than ever, but I do think that they're going to win with the maxi Embiid two-man game, not with the Embiid dominant game. Uh, I completely agree with you. And look, here's here's one thing that, that you know, as great as he is and all the he deserves all the flowers we're giving him right now for how dominant he has been for a long stretch, not just last night or this season. Right. But he still has something hanging over his head, Adam, and that is he has and some of it. I think was out of his control because of injuries. Some of it was his own doing. He has not played as well in the postseason as he has in the regular season. It's just a fact. His numbers have declined. So, right. and the reason I bring that up is because he still has that to prove. Like yeah. as great as he is right now, 36 points a game. Let's say he averages 35, 36 for the season, whatever it ends up being. Well, guess what? Your team is expecting the same production 
in the postseason. And they're also expecting in the big moments, the series-defining moments, the game-defining moments, for you to be able to come through. And that is where Joel Embiid, he still has that bell to ring. He has not rung that bell. And, and to your point, that means that Tyrese Maxey is going to be even more critical as you go down the stretch of the season, as you get into the playoffs. But because maybe there's going to be nights where Embiid reverts back or all of a sudden now he's seeing a particular defensive package thrown at him because you have one team right. to concentrate on, right? And teams can tweak game to game. Right. Now maybe he's seeing some coverages and looks he hasn't seen. And maybe now the ball's taken out of his hands. Maxi will be absolutely critical. Tobias Harris, by the way, is another guy that has struggled in key moments in the playoffs. He's right. having a phenomenal year. I mean, he really is. You, you look at any big three in the league and you look at the production of this three with Tobias Harris getting 18 a game, and there's not a lot of room left when you have a guy averaging 36 and a guy averaging 25. There's not a lot of room left. You, know, you pick up the crumbs and you're still getting almost 18 a night. He's having a great year. Guess what? He's going to have to be there for them in the postseason too. So as, as great as all this has been, there are still major things that they have to answer. Each of those three guys in particular have to answer once they get to the postseason. And that's why Maxi is absolutely critical um, that he is, you know, stay. And look, he's been great. He's just dwarfed by what Embiid's doing. But you're right. There's going to have to be quarters and nights and games where it is more about Maxi to get, I think, better balance between the two stars as they go into the postseason. And then once they get there, these guys have to deliver on a nightly basis, particularly after the first round. And I just think there's something to they keep winning the same way and B dominates. And that's a great you want to have that in your back pocket. Cause guess what? If you go, you know, you're gonna get 16 wins in a playoffs to win a championship. Embiid dominates is probably gonna win you half of those. Just oh my god, Embiid won you the game. To win you 16 of those, it's almost impossible. Even yeah. Kobe needed Shaq to come through in big games during their run. Even Michael needed guys to come through in big games during uh, the Bulls' run. So it's almost impossible to say you're going to get 16 on your own. And that's where I just think at some point, even he probably needs to turn his attention to, I could probably go give Zach Collins another 20 points this quarter, but let me try to work on this over here or do something over here. And, and striking that bounce again. I think I don't think he's off balance at this point in the season. You're getting wins, but I do think at some point you you I would feel more confident in the 76ers if they had a nice two-man dynamic for a good run, um, you know, than just this. But nonetheless, doesn't take away from him. Last thing on this one, we're going a little long. Embiid is up against the minutes or the games played, you know, threshold for being MVP. And I saw I have not seen people complain about this until last night because I think last night was the Moment where things became so overwhelming, like it's clearly Embiid as the MVP this season. Are you bothered by this new rule? And if Embiid misses out on the MVP because he goes just under 65 games, will that bother you? No, not at all. I love the rule. Um, I, I do think that availability uh, should matter for the award. I think it's helped Jokic in the past. I, I think it matters um, to be able to do it every night and to stay durable and stay healthy. Now, look, having said that, they're at 42 games. They have 40 games left. He has to play 33 out of 40. I mean, that's doable, certainly. Yeah. You could even have a minor injury right. and miss a few games, get a few nights of load management, and you're only missing six, and you're you're going to make it. So I right now, I think he's, he's, he's in a good spot to get to 65. Now, he said recently it didn't matter to him. 
and all he wants to do is win. And I do believe that because I think there is something that comes with winning one MVP. You're just so grateful to get your arms around that thing, right? I mean, you're on top of the world. It's right. something you thought about your whole life. And, and you're celebrated as the best in the world. That's great. And then, but you don't win championships. And then you get a right. second one, and it's almost like you start to feel a little self-conscious about it, I think. Right? right? And then at that point, I think it's all that matters. It's just, you know what? I don't even want any more. I just want to go win a championship. I think I think Jokic was in that boat, Giannis. Totally. Now, Embiid's only got one, but I already think that's his mindset. I really believe. He's like, I did it once. All I want to do is win. Now, he – Look, he might it might be a byproduct of their team success this year and his, his greatness individually. He gets another one and they don't win it. But when he said it the other day, I actually felt that was genuine. I thought I last think. night, you know, some of these guys and Carl Anthony Towns we're going to get into in a second. They get hot early, any score, right? And now it's like, okay, let's let's kind of see how hot am I. I don't do you think there was a little extra last night just because it was Wembanyama and like he's such a you know, he's such a focal point of the league right now and like everybody's fascinated with this big guy that could do all these things and now here's Embiid getting a taste of this and basically showing everybody like what a real dominant guy at that level looks like I, I was just wondering like what got him so fired up against the San Antonio Spurs team last in the west coming into your building that you go for 70 on a given night you know I just wonder where that came from or was it just he made a bunch of shots early and then just said, you know what, let's just see how hot I am tonight. I think it was that because to be honest with you, he's putting up big numbers against anyone. And I just think the numbers were a little bit bigger. Twenty, Like he's scoring 14 points in the first quarter every night. Last night he had 24. I think you go like, oh, I got a little extra tonight. Let's see what's happening. So I don't know. Those, By the way, countrymen, right? They both are going to be on the French national team. So I don't know that you would want to embarrass a guy or humiliate a guy that you're eventually going to team up with. So I don't know if it was that. Um, I'm, I'm buying the 76ers. We did have a super chat come in, Emma. Do you want to pull that one up for us? Because um, we had a nice $20 super chat from Mike Pascal who wanted to ask, Legs, how far can my Sixers go with this bench? Will Maury trade Tobias? I think we answered the first part. They're talking about how far they can go. But he asked specifically with the bench. Does the bench concern you? Yeah, the bench is concerning, yes. I mean, they don't have the depth of a, of a Boston, and that's ultimately your barometer, right? That's your gauge, the Boston Celtics. I, I think Milwaukee's got so many issues defensively that I think they'll be okay in, in a series like that. But, yeah, when you get into the depth and the number of guys that Boston has that have an impact on a given night that could on any given night, um, it's impressive. But, look, there's only one of those, right? And they've got it. They've got the deepest – I think major contributing team in the league. So you're not going to match up with that. The bench is a concern. I don't think they're trading Tobias Harris. I, I think Tobias Harris is playing yeah, as I well agree. as anybody can play next to those two guys with the usage rate that the top two stars have, the shots that those guys take to still be this efficient and average 18 points a game. Good luck finding another guy to fit in that easily and seamlessly and, and do it efficiently the way Tobias is. So I don't think they're trading him. Can they find something else to supplement their bench? We'll see. We, you know, who knows? We got a few weeks to go, and you're going to start to hear a lot of of chatter with all of these top teams that aren't Boston. I think all of them are going to be looking at ways to add a little bit of depth. I think Philadelphia would be in that category too. But I'd be shocked if they traded Tobias Harris as well as he's playing for them. 
Bruce Brown and Alex Caruso are the two names I look at for them where I go, that rounds out their roster a lot. It gives them the type of players that to me help you win, help your already established identity win without disrupting things. A midseason trade can disrupt things for a challenging, a, a contending team. It's very rare. Yeah. So you almost don't want to bring in too good of a player or too high of a usage player. Both of those guys, I think, are pretty good at fitting into um, to whatever it is, the system that's around them. Um, let's take a break. On the other side, this was a scoring performance that made me buy stock in the team even more. But there was another game with a big scoring performance that made me sell stock in a team even more. And that was, of course, the Minnesota Timberwolves. I know Legs was texting me a lot last night. I know he has a lot to say about that Timberwolves performance last night. We'll get to that on the other side. But first, the NBA is in full swing. If you can't get enough of the action, spice things up on DraftKings Sportsbook, an official sports betting partner of the NBA. I wonder what Embiid's over-under on points is going to be in this next game. What could you possibly set an over-under on right now that you'd be like, ooh, that's too high? If I see a line at 36 points for Embiid, I'm going like, I'm taking the over. He's just over 36 <laughs> points every game right now. I don't. Maybe DraftKings doesn't even give you a line. They're like, we can't. I mean, 50, 60, what are we doing here? Right now, you bet five bucks and you get 200 instantly in bonus bets. Whether you win or whether you lose, it's a hell of a deal. You get 200. Basically, you're getting 200 bo uh, bonus bets right off the bat just for signing up. So download the DraftKings Sportsbook app now. Use code ALLNBA. Don't forget the code. And then you get 5 bucks to win 200 instantly. Only on DraftKings Sportsbook with code ALLNBA. The crowd is yours. Gam gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER or visit www.1800gambler.net. In New York, call 878-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY-467-369. In Connecticut, help is available for problem gambling. Call 888-789-7777 or visit ccpg.org. Please play responsibly. On behalf of Boot Hill Casino and Resort in Kansas, 21 and older, age varies by jurisdiction, void in Ontario. Bonus bets expire 168 hours after issuance. See dkng.com slash basketball for eligibility and deposit restrictions, terms, and responsible gaming resources. All right, back here, segment two, and let's talk about the other massive scoring game. Carl Anthony Towns goes for 62 points, but it comes in a crushing, crushing loss to the 10-31 and 31 Charlotte Hornets, 128-125. to 125. Here, I'm going to start with this one take, Legs, and then give it to you because I know you have a lot. But Embiid, the Sixers always play through Embiid. Embiid is always aggressive, and Embiid always scores. There was no adjustment to be made for the 76ers when Embiid got hot, other than let's, you know, he's just doing it at an even higher level than average. They don't always play through Towns. Last night, he was on fire early. The whole game stopped just to kind of become the Town show, and he delivered until he didn't. So that is my first assessment of the differences between these two games. But watching it, there was that moment of, oh my God, we're going to get two 60 or 70 point performances in the same game to segue to, oh my God, is the, are the Timberwolves going to lose this game? To, oh my God, we're watching a train wreck in slow motion. That's what it felt like to me. What did it feel like to you? Oh my goodness. All right. So first of all, I'm going to contrast this with what I saw in the Philly game in, in this regard. Did you see the amount of joy that every single person on that organization exhibited for Joel Embiid. Right? I'm talking about top to bottom. Every assistant coach. I mean, just dudes sitting over there in sweats. I don't even know who they were, but they're associated with the team, right? He had Brett Brown, who was his former yep. coach. And he was now an assistant on San Antonio. Stay after the game, hug him multiple times, talk to him forever, congratulate him. And then before you headed back into the locker room, um, just the, the, the goodwill in the building for what it represented. And now let's go to Minnesota. 
So Carl Anthony Towns has a 44-point first half. Now, you said at one point you're thinking two guys are going to get 60, two guys are going to get 70. You got 44 at the half. You might be thinking about getting 75, 80 on that, on that given night, <laughs> right? And it felt completely different. It was almost like dudes were annoyed on his own team that this was happening. And it wasn't like they were losing the whole game. It wasn't like he had 44 at the half and they're down 15 and he right. shot the ball every time he touched it, right? They had a 15-point lead going into the mm. fourth quarter. Mm. And you had you had weird body language out of Anthony Edwards from the beginning. It was almost yeah. like he was kind of pouty that it wasn't his night and like so many nights are his night, right? Yeah. And yet here he was like not shooting the ball on obvious shooting situations. I saw Chris Finch multiple times sort of talking to him on the sideline, like basically you could see like telling him, hey man, come on, like be aggressive. Like we can't play every possession through through one guy. Like, you know, keep playing. He had weird body language. Jade McDaniels in a couple of the huddles, they're like, they're going over some stuff when Charlotte started making the comeback and the look on his face and he's just sitting there with this disgusted look on his face in the huddle. And I'm just like, what am I watching right now? Uh, and it, I think it speaks to something with regard to how everybody's connecting to Carl Anthony Towns, man, because it was not – and I'm not saying, look, I'm not saying you, you celebrate a dude in the moment while he's scoring a bunch of buckets in the game because you're trying to win the game. But – that at no point did it look like this was anything that was positive for the organization or for the team or in the moment. And I was, it was so bizarre to me. And then of course they totally collapsed defensively. And here's what's weird, Adam. It got so bad with whatever was going on with the dynamic with Carl Anthony Towns, big night and the rest of the team, they pulled him off the court in a one possession game with the ball down three on a That's night so had 52 points. It's the strangest thing you'll ever see. And then they subbed him out on the other end. So he came out two different times in the last three minutes of the game. And they, they show, of course, a close up on him on the bench. He looked kind of bewildered and confused. And anyway, they lose the game. And guess what? Chris Finch basically talks about exactly some of the things I'm discussing right now. He called them immature. He, I forgot what he said about their defense. I did call it embarrassment or whatever he word he yeah. used for their defense. Said it was a collapse, but he used the word immature five or six times in his post-game presser. And I don't necessarily think he was only talking about Carl Anthony Towns, no, who he, he got wrapped up in the moment of scoring. I think he was talking about Anthony Edwards. I think he was talking about Jaden McDaniels. Who else, who knows on that roster he was talking about? But I think that is a really, really bad sign that on a historic night for one guy on your team that you mentally get so taken out of it that you end up relinquishing the lead and and don't really even fight for each other. And you walk off the court feeling that way on a night that a dude has a record-setting performance. I just felt dirty. I felt like I had to go get a shower after that game. I'm like, what is going on with the chemistry with this team? And is it a harbinger for something more serious down the road when they face adversity in the postseason? Because they are going to. And you know, they said the right things after the game. And I'm really curious to see what their film session was like today and what their practice was like today. Unless he just said, I don't even want to see you guys today. Um, and I didn't look at the schedule. I don't know if they played tonight or not. But they, I would like to know 
what the team meeting and the coaching staff's words are to that group after that performance, because that was about as dysfunctional as you're going to see at the NBA level. I want to get to the test that the Timberwolves are facing because I do think it's a fascinating test and it, it, it's one of the things I love about basketball. But I just want to go back to your point of these tough moments do reveal something about you. And they just had a tough one over the weekend where they lost to Oklahoma City, which was a measuring stick game. You're at home, you lose it, and you lose it in large part because you didn't. they out-executed Minnesota in the clutch. They looked like the better team when, the, when it mattered the most. And you could tell it was frustrating. After the game, Anthony Edwards was complaining about officiating, and he was doing some stuff that I remember going, to me that feels like a sign of weakness and immaturity. This, uh, this is on Saturday I was thinking this. When I saw how he responded publicly, now look, He's young. Things you say in the postgame 10 minutes after you just lost a heartbreaking game. I forgive. I give guys a lot of forgiveness for things they say in those moments. But I remember thinking sign of immaturity and a little bit of a sign of, hey, this team got rattled on a regular season game. Like, come on, man. And then to yeah. follow it up with this exact performance to me is like, OK, back, back, little moments for, for them where. They're hitting adversity, and there's something about them that is being revealed that we did not see when they were on such a hot streak. And I think immaturity is the perfect word. And Finch using it as the head coach, knowing that that is an insult. I mean, as a if a coach calls you immature legs, that's a thing. That's not just like a, hey, you didn't try hard tonight. Immature is a trait that he is. That's a big thing for a coach to accuse a team of being. So for me, I do feel like this revealed something about the Timberwolves the way they feel about each other, and the way that behind the scenes, the staff at least believes that they are prepared to handle these types of moments that is concerning. I think that I think the three the three big ones that a coach can levy at his team or an individual player that really are those go look in a mirror reflective moments. You call a guy a quitter or a team a quitter. Mm. If you say the word we quit tonight, like Ooh. that's definitely one where you're trying to fire a salvo across the bow to have everybody go home that night look in the mirror, right? That's a big one. If you call guys or your team selfish, that is the worst word you can use in a basketball environment that requires cohesion, right? And that perfect blend of individuality and, and team concept, right? That's what everybody's trying to capture. So if you just say the word selfish about your team, and even if, and sometimes they'll say it about the team and they're really talking to one player. That, that's what coaches do. Right. Good coaches will do that. They're not going to single out a guy. Yeah. That's a one that gets you to go reflect. And then this is the third one to me, immature. I mean, who wants to be called immature? It's such an insulting thing to be called when you're a professional. And that's what he basically levied at, levied at his team. And I thought it was across the board. It wasn't necessarily at one guy. What's interesting to me, Adam, is let's say they held on to win the game. I have the way that the way these guys looked. I it's I think if Carl Anthony Towns makes that three at the buzzer, I don't even know if anybody's running over to the guy to celebrate <laughs> on a 65 point game winner. Seriously, like that's yeah. how they came off to me. And I've been in enough locker rooms, man, in my career and, and covering the league since. There's, sometimes there's just a weird vibe in the air, and I haven't been around this team. So I don't know enough about it on a daily basis. And clearly they've got the best record in the West. Something's gone right for them. But that was really ugly last night in terms of the dynamic between their key guys. It was bizarre. Um, it was almost like there was a resentment that it was happening to Cat. Yeah. Like I guarantee you if that was Anthony Edwards, it would have been a different reaction out of that team. I'm mm. telling you. 
And so what does that say? And, and what does that say to them internally as they look at their team going forward? You know, it, it's just I, I, maybe maybe I'm making too much of it, but I'm pretty good at reading situations and reading body language and reading interactions between players while whatever circumstances are going on. And I just thought that was dysfunction. And yeah. it really reared itself on a, at a weird time when a dude was going off unlike anything any of those guys had ever seen. It's one of the greatest scoring first halves in the history of this league. And he's eight for nine from the three, 44 points at halftime. And it did, nobody really seemed to be all that into it. That is a weird thing. It speaks to the dynamic between their players. And I think that is what Chris Finch has to get to the bottom of. And look, some things can't be repaired. And then you might have to think about making some changes. But I would be worried about that. Like, why why were we like that uh, on this night? Why was Anthony Edwards acting that way while Carl Anthony Towns was having this big night? Because it was definitely bizarre for him. Some guys go off, and guess what? If you're a star, you're still getting yours. That's the way this league works. You're still going to get yours even on a night when a dude is going off like that. Anthony Edwards basically was like, okay, I guess it's just not my night. It's his night, so I'm just not. I'm going to stop playing offensively. Very bizarre, yeah. man, and, and it's something that I'm definitely going to be keeping watch of. Now, look, they go to Washington, Brooklyn, and San Antonio the next three games. Three very winnable games, all on the road. But Get I want to see how they respond to this. And this is why sports are the best. Is it's not about talent. Talent is a huge part of it. It's one of the biggest ingredients to it all. How do you respond to adversity? How does a team come together? I mean, specifically team sports. When we first did our very first show, Legs, you said one of the things you love about basketball is it's the perfect blend of individual brilliance and team reliance. And to me, this is a perfect example of we have a team right now that has these great individual performers, and the adversity is perhaps revealing a little bit of a, okay, there's some issues below the surface. But as much as I completely agree with you on my read of the game, I don't think that they are doomed. This is a moment in time where they are either going to grow or they're not. Yeah. And I'm just curious what, what happens, which which way they break on it. And if it does break the wrong way, they are headed for some pain because their season has been too good to allow it to slip by and let this opportunity go, um, you know, go by the wayside. Um, Terry Rozier was good last night in the game, and then he was traded. He was so good. It was like, you know, Miami said, all right, let's pull the trigger. This was a... Uh, 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 trade that I've heard some rumors about for a little uh for a little while but he is going to the Miami Heat for Kyle Lowry who's basically just to make the salaries match and then the 2027 protected first round pick very interesting trade let me give you a couple notes real quick on Terry Rozier he is second best in the NBA in points per possession on pick and roll ball handle as a pick and roll ball handler according to synergy only behind Tyrese Halliburton he scores 1.1 one points per possession on as the ball handler and pick and rolls and he has the 14th most pull-up field goal attempts in the nba people wouldn't guess that it's all superstars and then him and then some more superstars he has the second best effective field goal percentage on pull-up shots because he takes a lot of three-point pull-up shots and he makes a lot of them he's very good at a very specific skill that i think that the miami heat probably needs scoring but mostly scoring gravity on pick and rolls where now he's another guy that defenses are going to have to be sucked way out on the perimeter for because they're afraid of him pulling up from three this is a um 
I think a seismic shift in the Eastern Conference. I, a lot of trades take place, Adam, and I kind of go, yeah, okay, we'll see, you know, and that, whatever. Doesn't do much for me. This is a massive acquisition for the Miami Heat. Um, to have another guy now at this level as a scorer and a ball handler, and it, it alleviates a lot of pressure off Tyler Hero, who's having a great year. But but it, when he is able to run a little bit more off the ball and, and set himself up, put the ball more in, in Terry Rozier's hands, that is just a major, major acquisition for Miami. And I think when I look at the East now, I look at their team and I say, well, they're not, they're not going to catch Philly at this point for third. But I think fourth is now in play. Like I think wow. now anywhere they're they're in sixth spot, right? So fourth through six, I think we're, you know, there's still a few games behind the uh, Cleveland Cavaliers who are red hot right now. I think yeah. this now potentially gets them into play for that. Now, look, maybe if you're Miami, you play your cards right at the end of the year. Hey, maybe you don't want to be four, right? Because you might end up with the Boston Celtics in the second round. You much rather get Could Milwaukee be. or first. Maybe they don't even want to be four. We'll see <laughs> how that goes. Maybe they'd rather be six. I mean, who knows? But I think this now, for me, elevates Miami to I think they're in the discussion now as a title contender. And I didn't view them as a title contender. I viewed them as a team that was going to be problematic if you have to play them because of the way that they play, how well they're coached all the playoff experience, Jimmy Butler, how good he is in the clutch. Like, that's going to be a tough series. But I didn't see them as having enough to battle those top three. I think this now puts them in the category where they're in that conversation. Um, that's that. I did not expect that much. I mean, I knew that you liked the trade, but this is – look, Miami, we know they have toughness. We know they have defense. They have defensive versatility. They now – I don't know if they have enough offensively here him and Ty and and uh, Hero play a very similar game in that they take a lot of pull up threes and they take a lot of those quick like one dribble off of a screen and they go into their shot and they're good at making them. Is that their offensive identity now? Is I mean, is their offensive identity now Hero and Rozier with Jimmy Butler obviously as your bailout guy, but those guys taking what I would consider to be, you know, they're good shots for them, but they're kind of bad shots in terms of building an offensive rhythm. But is that their identity? Yeah, I think that is their identity in the regular season. In the postseason, it's a little bit more Jimmy Butler-centric in how they initiate okay. it. Um, and even Bam Adebayo, I think, it becomes more more elevated in the postseason as teams start to, you know, they blitz a lot of those ball screens yep. and they do different things to get the ball out of guys' hands. So you go somewhere differently to start. And then they got, you know, their spacers and their three-point shooters. They just needed some punch. They needed more punch. And they just got a significant boost by adding Rozier. And because now also it gives you the luxury on certain nights of not having to get, play guys major minutes and also maybe even give some guys some nights off if you want to rest some legs because you just added 23 points a game to your roster. And he does it He does it you know, pretty easily the way that he gets it. Um, doesn't have to ISO a lot. He's getting a lot of ball screen and a lot in transition. And he gets into his shot quickly. So he makes up his mind pretty quickly. And this is where he wanted to go. So he's going to be absolutely thrilled to go from a situation in Charlotte playing for nothing. You go to Miami playing for Spolstra, playing for a team that just went to the finals and thinks they can get back there now. He, he's he's going to be on top of the world. So you're going to get maximum energy and enthusiasm out of Rozier too. If you look at it, Hero and Rozier, and I would say to a much lesser degree, but still there, Duncan Robinson, those are your gravity guys. They're going to draw a lot of attention off screens and off pick and rolls out on the perimeter. And then when you dump it off to Bam Adebayo, you have Adebayo, you have Jimmy Butler, Caleb Martin, Jaime Jaquez, Kevin Love. 
you have a whole slew of players who are good connectors. So if you can draw the defense out and you can gain an advantage, you have a lot of guys that can finish the play four on three and make the right read. So I'm very curious to see how this works out for them. Miami is in a good spot. And to your point, what what is their what does their schedule look like? They make this trade. He's probably not going to be there by the first game, which is Memphis uh, tomorrow. But he will be there for Boston and then at New York. New York, one of those teams you're chasing in the standings that's right ahead of you. So they have two games against New York remaining on the schedule, two games against Cleveland. I'm curious to see if they make up the By the way, hey, and you didn't mention it, but the, you know their next three after this Memphis game, Boston, yeah. New York, Phoenix. Yeah. So Phoenix. you know you're talking about you're talking about you know New York has now made themselves into a legitimate you know tough team in the East to, to have to deal yeah. with. You know Boston's a title right now favorite probably, and then you've got Phoenix who is hot finding their rhythm and as a title contender. So this is a – yeah, he'll miss he'll miss the Memphis game most likely, I would think. I don't know if he can get cleared that fast, but he'll probably miss the Memphis game and then be there for Boston, New York, and Phoenix, and you get a real taste of of, of how – and it's, look, it's not an easy integration because he's, he's not a catch-and-shoot guy. He's a guy that's going to have the ball to do his thing. So that's not the easiest integration in the world, so maybe it'll take some time. You don't want to judge him on those three games, but – it, it does give you a little bit, I think, of a view into the additional firepower they have against those teams. Um, the They go into the All-Star break, by the way, in February, playing Boston, Milwaukee, Philadelphia, back-to-back-to-back. To back to back. So that'll be a – I, I, I kind of love that because I feel like it's a chance. Miami's always best when they kind of sneak up on you at the end and put doubt in your mind. And I just love that they can go into the All-Star break facing the three top teams in the East and make a statement there. Uh, let's quickly go through, because we only got about 10 minutes here. Let's quickly go through the other games. The Celtics had a bounce-back win, dominating the Mavericks. Um, actually, I shouldn't say, yeah, they did dominate it. The Mavericks made a late-game push to make it kind of interesting. Celtics, uh, they weathered the storm and then put the game away in the final five minutes. What did you see from this one? Yeah, it, this was as dominant uh, of a nine-point win as you're going to see. They yeah. just they just they got, they got them to arm's length, and they just kept them there the entire time. Dallas, um, Dallas repeatedly showed you they did not have the individual matchup for Tatum or Brown, and yep. they they don't they just don't have that guy, and they got whatever they wanted to, and Luca in particular looked really vulnerable defensively. They were going at him, particularly when it was Jalen Brown, but also when it was Tatum, and you know he got incredibly frustrated. I think because he got hit with some fouls guarding those guys. He was having a rough night shooting. He felt he should have been getting calls, which is a oh, surprise. Luca, you know, thinking he should get a call. It's like every trip up the floor. But I thought it took him out of his game mentally. He 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 got so frustrated. He was almost like he was a rookie again with the amount of interaction he had with the officials. And you could just see Boston was enjoying how frustrated they were making him. Um, it was just, and it didn't have Porzingis. And yet it was just one of those nights, man. It was top to bottom, everybody playing well, but in particular, Tatum and Brown, you know, 73 points and just dominated Dallas's wings the entire game. Yeah. Um, Jalen Brown, by the way, had that crossover over uh, Luka Doncic. They showed it on the Jumbotron in Dallas, and I thought that was an interesting one. You never see that. And uh, I know Tim Hardaway Jr. got upset about it, rightfully so. Well, look, I want to say one thing about that, too. Look, when I saw it happen, I watched, was watching the game when it happened, and I waited for the replay because most of the time that that happens, a guy gets his foot stepped on. Right. It happens yeah. all the nope. time. Yeah. It, and, it, and guess what? That's not what happened on this one. 
Luca, Luca was a clean caught run. a knee buckle and went down. And there was some oohs and ahs even at home because – and Jalen Brown hit the shot, had, a, had a, an interesting smirk on his face as he backpedaled. He kind of did a side glance over at somebody. I don't know if it was like the television crew, whoever. He kind of did a side glance over courtside in Dallas after he made Luca fall. So, yeah, you're right. But usually you don't show that in your home arena if one of your guys gets embarrassed. Legs, we had some haters in the chat yesterday and in the comment section yesterday, hailing from Phoenix, Arizona, where they were upset that we did not spend more time ranting and raving about Kevin Durant's 40-point game. So let's do it right now. Back-to-back 40-point games for Kevin Durant. 43 points, 6 rebounds, 8 assists, 16-32 to 32 shooting, and the dagger or the, one of the buckets that I thought was the dagger, a 3 from the top of the key that just uh, kept pace with the wild scoring down the stretch. DeRozan was hitting some tough shots. KD outgunned him in the end. Back-to-back 40-point games. And by the way, not just back-to-back as in two games in a row, back-to-back days. Played last night and played tonight. I think that's kind of meaningful, actually, for Kevin Durant to be able to have both the stamina and obviously the ability to do it at this age, 40 points in a row. But he's in his zone. A lot of guys in his zone right now. Kevin Durant was in his zone last night. Oh, my goodness. He was, he was absolutely sensational. And, you know, this is a game in which they're down 21 points with five and a half minutes left in the third quarter. And you talked about the big dagger he hit late. But what really I thought gave them a chance to win was the run he went on to, to end the third quarter. He hit three threes in a four-possession stretch. And by the way, that also got him going. He he hadn't been playing particularly great offensively until that stretch. He was a little bit frustrated. Hit three of those, hit a mid-range pull-up. And so he got himself going, but also cut into that lead. And then actually Chicago fought, held them off for most of the like first half of the fourth quarter. They had a double-digit lead. And they just, Phoenix just kept grinding it. And some of the shots that Chicago hit early in the game, they, they were missing. And at the same time, they were giving the ball to Kevin Durant, and he put on a show. You want to watch a smooth, elite-level scorer, watch the performance that Kevin Durant put on last night. It reminded everybody who he is. And I just thought that that run he had the second half to close out the third quarter was what positioned them and gave them a little bit of momentum and confidence going into the fourth that they could erase the entire thing. Um, they go into fourth quarter down, you know, 20. I don't know if they can make that all the way back. So I right. thought Durant got himself going, got his team going, and uh, he was the story. It wasn't even about Booker or Beal and the big three. This was Kevin Durant. And, oh, by the way, Eubanks was incredible in this game. Yep. Um, they don't win the game without what Drew Eubanks did in this game. He was yep. unbelievable with his finishing, with his passing, with his with defense in the paint. So I thought it was Durant and Eubank's show, really, more so than even in the big three. Came up with a big, I think, offensive rebound late in this game that was so critical. I mean, this really was back and forth, you know, every you just kind of had to keep pace making plays, and Phoenix at the end ultimately made one extra play. I hated, by the way, that Chicago, there's 1.8 seconds on the clock, I believe, and Chicago went for the lob at the rim, which I feel to me is akin to a Hail Mary. That... If you get the ball in and have to shoot a turnaround three-pointer, I feel like there's a higher success rate at that than there is at the lob at the rim. Teams are ready for the lob at the rim. They tried it. There was a foul, and they ended up just going for a regular three, but I hated that choice. The other note I have here, and I don't know how big of this of a deal this is, but Nurkic again in 26 minutes was a minus 15. It was the Drew Eubanks you know, going a little bit smaller lineup, but that's one of my big concerns about Phoenix is 
Nurk is there for very specific matchups, but he's not there for every matchup. And this was one where Vucevic ended up going off and having a very good game against him. But it was those Eubank minutes that made the Suns look like the version of themselves that we kind of expect most. And that's just a note I have when I watch them is there are games that feel like Nurkic games and games that feel like they are not, but they play it as if every game is a Nurkic game. And I just, that they almost have two identities based on what they need. And last night they needed the other one, not the Nurkic one. I agree with you. And I thought what got Eubanks going a little bit, he got into it a little bit with Andre Drummond. They had a couple of possessions in a row where they got in each other's face a little bit. And it, it, it fired Eubanks up, got the crowd going because it's one thing to get irritated. You know, you got two guys that are basically backup centers and they're getting into it. Most people like, don't care about that. But if you get if you get your feathers ruffled and then you go respond, because right after that is when he had some of his biggest plays in the game as they were making that comeback. Um, I just thought he gave them an incredible lift. Uh, the crowd responded to him. The team responded to him. Ten points, eight boards, four assists in 22 minutes. And they, I felt like every single one of those stats was meaningful. 100%. The Suns are on a roll. Six games in a row. And now they go on the road at Dallas. We talked about this the other day. At Dallas, at Indiana, at Orlando, at Miami. That four, And then they have three more road games after that. It's a seven-game road trip, the longest of the year. But those first four, to me, are going to be very interesting. If they can go 3-1, and 4-0 in that stretch, I think there's going to be a lot of wind at, their, at the back of their sails uh, you know, heading into the All-Star break. So it should be exciting. What a night, man, in the NBA. Wolves falling, Wolves running into a moment of uncertainty, and the 76ers really having the best uh, sort of vibe in the NBA right now, writing what Embiid is doing. Just a huge, huge night. And your take on the Terry Rozier deal has me very interested. I can't wait to watch the yeah. heat over these next couple of weeks. And and some 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 days are better than others in this job, Adam. We were blessed to do what we do for a living, but some days are better than others. And when the when the games give you the script unexpectedly, there's nothing better. You get so excited to do the show the next day when you're sitting there watching these storylines that were created out of nowhere. You didn't see them going into the night, and yet here they are. Two games, like I said, I had no interest in watching either one of those games. Right, right. And uh, and now I have major talking point with the Timberwolves. You know, Embiid just giving us you know, a night we'll never forget. Uh, I love when the league does that for us. I do too, man. I do too. Um, some good ones on tonight. We've got, let's see, Nuggets Pacers. Pacers making their home debut for the Siakam trade. Halliburton is back, so that should be a great game. It's rival. I didn't even know it was rival week rivalry week legs but apparently it's rivalry week in the nba and that means nicks nets that's a rivalry jazz pelicans i guess it's a naming rivalry because the new orleans jazz moved to utah i guess thunder blazers lakers clippers rivalry week might have lost a little bit of its luster legs over the years i don't know what the big what, rivalries I'm are looking at that list and the only two that i see that i really feel are legit are are heat knicks and heat celtics i feel what? that when those teams play each other yeah, but that's the 90s. But you are right that they still are. They still matter. They're still pertinent. I think 76ers Nuggets is another fascinating one just because you have the Embiid Jokic. Not really, you know, a personal rivalry, whatever, but it is nice measuring stick of the clearly the two best centers in the NBA. So that'll be good. But you're right. A lot of those matchups are what are we actually talking about? All right. We had a super chat come through. What do we got here? Jay Money, five bucks says, Legs, also a Commanders fan here. It was a tough watch this season. <laughs> As a Raptor, I feel like he's just buttering you up, man. This is some good. Pandemic. Yeah, I think so. I think so. <laughs> As a Raptors fan, my cue is what moves would you like to see them do before the deadline? Is there a type of movie you think the Raptors need? 
my goodness, I, I don't know now. I mean, I, you know, they already kind of made them, right? They got rid of Adenobi, they got rid of Siakam. Those More are the two major building this team around Scotty Barnes. I, I, you know, I just think you're going to you're going to continue to get a little bit younger right now and, and, and just eventually hope that Scotty Barnes can become what his coach called him recently, the fa future face of the league. Uh, let's see if Barnes can live up to that. The future face of the league, man. All right, everybody. Thanks so much. A couple super chats coming in. We appreciate it. We appreciate you hanging out with us for these first two days of the week. We take Wednesday off, but we're back Thursday and Friday. Hit the like button on the way out. We'll see you then. We all silly like the mayor.